So our topic today, tonight, is mastering fear. And we're going to talk about different misconceptions about fear and some tools, hopefully. Okay, so let's start. In Hebrew, I always start with that. In Hebrew, the word uh, to see and the word to fear is very, very similar. They're pretty much same letters. So to see, seeing, is reya, reish alef yud a. And um, to fear is, you know, fearing is yira, which is also yud reish alef hey. So it's very, very similar. So what we're trying to understand here is what is the connection between fear, to fear, and to see? Uh, so let's see what Judaism teaches us. By the way, I am teaching here, and it's amazing, uh, a book. I, took a lo- I take a lot from Reb Noach Weinberg's book, The 48 Ways to Wisdom, and I found it a super amazing book. So highly recommend if someone looking for something to read. It's a great uh, book, and I quote a lot of the things that he says there. By the way, Reb Noach Weinberg was the founder of H Global, H International. There was no H before that. Um, so he's definitely uh, a big part of what we do and many thousands of other people uh, doing. So let's explain what's the connection between fear and to fear and to see. So fear is really seeing the consequence in life, seeing the consequence of your actions in life. For example, you know, when you are heading into this crazy deadline at work and you have so much pressure and you really, really want to succeed, it's going to mean the world to you. If you hit the deadline, they look at you, they say, wow, that was amazing. You really like did it. Or for example, you walk into a really important exam and you know that your whole career is dependent on this exam. You feel some kind of a fear before you're taking it. The same with, you know, if you're in business and you're about to sign on a great contract, something huge, lots of money. Something is happening inside of you. Um, And those feelings are basically us trying to, you know, what's what's happening inside of us is our body is firing on, on all cylinders and we feel, sometimes we literally feel our blood rushing through our body or even coming up to our face when we're really scared and we're about to do something really big. Now, when we appreciate the actions, you know, our actions and the outcomes of the actions in life, we feel that we're really living life at the fullest. We're really making the most out of life. And that is really the essence of free will. Now, our fundamental choice in life is to really open our eyes in our daily day life, you know, and to be able to see consequences, to be able to see our actions, and to be afraid, to be fearing of missing out. Missing out on what? Not just on a party there or like a hangout here. Missing out on the awesomeness of life, of what life can offer us. Um, you know, being fearful of the negative consequences that our actions can bring us or to other people. Let's give an example. Imagine that, you know, you are, you know, life is a, let's say, shopping spree. And you only have 10 minutes. You're walking into this store, whatever, I'm not even going to name a certain store, but a store that you really, really like. And you have only 10 minutes in that store to grab whatever you can into your cart and you get it for free. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity. You're not going to get that again. So tell me, what do you feel then? Just before you are about to like literally like run around the store and get everything and anything you can into your cart within 10 minutes, what do you feel then? What kind of feeling you are experiencing? Anyone want to share with us what they think? Excitement. Excitement, that's great. What else? nervousness because you grab anything but it's kind of like what's important like what should I grab right that's perfect anyone else wanted to say something I heard another voice there in the background adrenaline 
adrenaline. That's great. All what you said is true. So what's going to be is as soon as, you know, it's going to be whatever, three, two, one, set, go, and you're ready to run around, you're going to make sure that you're so focused on your goal, you're focused on everything that you need to get because you don't want to end up with like half a cart. You know, you want to make sure that you are focused. And that's pretty much like my main, I would say, message here. You're focused and you make sure that you're not going to miss out on this opportunity. So there's the fear of, I don't want to miss out on this. I don't want to mess up. I, I got 10 minutes in this, my favorite store and that's what I got. Like seriously, I don't want to have regrets after. So what I feel then is that idea. You know, when we recognize, and that's the same with life. Living with fear, what does it mean? It means that I recognize the value of life. I recognize what life has to offer. I recognize that I don't want to miss out on the awesomeness of life. There's many things that I wouldn't want to miss out. Now, a lot of people, I would say, don't agree with the idea of embracing fear. And what they would teach, they would say, we would run away from fear. It's not something that we want to go towards. It's something that we run away from most times. And we would analyze a few things. So there are quite a few misconceptions that people have about fear and why they don't embrace fear. And we will discuss those in this class tonight. So I'll start, I'll start with the first one. So fear is painful. When I say fear is painful, what comes to your mind? I'll give you a few seconds. Um, like painful as in being embarrassed, like emotionally painful. Yes. Yes. Some people are afraid of failing, afraid of being embarrassed in front of people, not maximizing their, you know, the expectations that people have from them, whether it's at work, in a relationship. I don't know. I mean, it could be anything really. That's true. Anything else? I think fear is very mentally, physically, spiritually, like, draining. So it's, you know, it's, it's painful to feel, like, so drained of your energy and your emotions. That's right. That's right. By the way, hi, Becca. <laughs> I didn't even realize <laughs> So, yeah, love hearing your voice. And, yes, that was great. So let's analyze it a little bit. So people usually tend to avoid fear because they're thinking, you know, it's painful, it's threatening, it's scary. It's uncomfortable. It's not something they want to put themselves in the situation of being scared. But in the other hand, what you'll have is you would have people that would pay to get scared. For example, you know, I don't know, being on this crazy roller coaster, the, the, the most craziest one in the world, or jumping off a plane, or watching horror movies. These are things that people do spend money on to literally get scared out. So from what we see, it, it's, it's a contradictive, you know, it's definitely contradicting. It's, you know, some people run away from fear. Some people would pay to get scared in some ways. What would you say? How would you explain this contradiction or what do you think the answer is? You can be very creative. You know, everyone is also different. So some people are totally up for jumping off the plane. Some people are, no way. I mean, like me, I'm, I'm scared of uh, these kind of things. And I've never done it. And it's not even on my bucket list. So whatever. But yeah, I'd love to hear thoughts. What do you think of that? Because it does sound like a contradiction. I think maybe some people use fear as like a motivator. Um, so they, they're, they're afraid and that gets them more motivated because they know that once they overcome it, the feeling is so good. So they like to, to give themselves that feeling as much as possible with skydiving or bungee jumping or doing something crazy. And then they get that, the feeling afterwards. I love it. You're really like there, you know. Um, anyone else wanted to say something? Because I, I think I heard some of you 
I think it was Sari. I was just going to say one of them is planned and one is unplanned. So when the type of fear that you seek out, like going on a roller coaster, that's something that's planned that you see coming. Right. Um, the other, you know, there's other unplanned types of fears. Right. So then you you kind of not not prepared for it. Right. Okay. Wow. That's great. That's a different direction than I thought. I like that. Um, okay. So let's see. So we understand, based on Judaism, that yes, fear is uh, uncomfortable. No one would say it's not. It's not something that people tend to run into, you know. Um, but it definitely delivers a sense of pleasure. It does have that, and, and it kind of ties into what Becca said. And we'll an analyze it even more. When you jump off a plane, before the parachute is opening... Nothing in the world matters to that person that's jumping on the plane. Like, even all the little nonsense or little, even arguments, nothing would matter because you, you feel like in a different planet. It takes you kind of out of your comfort zone, out of your bubble, out of your world, in a way. When you're on the roller coaster and you're speeding down, you know, in this steep incline, and you feel that total exhilaration of literally thrill of being alive, you know, so yes, it can be uncomfortable, but through fear, what we see is we understand the meaning of life, how important every minute that we're living is. Fear can open our eyes to see how important our choices are, how important the, the way we spend our time or, you know, what we do or how, to, how we act. Um, it motivates us and pushes us, and that's what Becca mentioned also, the idea that fear can motivate you. It pushes you beyond your comfort zone. It does give you the pleasure of being alive. Now, we will see at the end of the class, it's not the only way. I mean, uh, you know, going on a, jumping off a plane or, you know, being on a roller coaster is not the only way to feel alive. And we'll talk about it from a Jewish perspective. What can you do in order to feel alive? to maximize everything without putting yourself in these kind of situations. It's not for everyone. It's not for me. So that means I'm not going to feel the thrill of being alive. No, I could. Other no, I could. Um, so let's analyze it. Let's see um, further. So that was misconception number one, that fear is painful. Okay, so that was number one. Now we're going to go to number two. Number two is fear is paralyzing. When I say fear is paralyzing, what do you think? What comes to your mind? Some people don't know how to react, so they shut down. Versus, like, I think some other people, like we mentioned, thrive off of it and are more the adrenaline junkies, so they use that to channel something else out of it. Right. That's good. That's good. Anyone else want to add, chip in anything? I think it's, like, paralyzing in the sense that you're scared to try something new. Like, you're scared to take the next step into something unknown. Right. Okay. That was kind cool. of what Allison said. I was going to say it's unfamiliar. What was, what so, was Sorry, I didn't hear you. Uh, I said it's unfamiliar. So it's something that you're, you just, you don't recognize. Um, and people are very, like Allison was saying, people are very scared of like what's, what's unknown, what you're not familiar with. That's right. They are scared of things that are outside of the comfort zone. And that's pretty normal. Um, okay, so let's talk about that. Fear is paralyzing. So what is the misconception? People think that fear is paralyzing and that it doesn't only, you know, kind of blocks you from doing things. It restricts you from really reaching your potential, avoids you from doing things. Now, what we do understand in Judaism that shock paralyzes you. Yes, that can paralyze you. But fear doesn't paralyze you. Fear motivates you. And that's back to what we said before and what Becca said. 
fear can even give you strength that you never, ha- you never knew you had. Things that you never thought you would be able to achieve or experience, and then you did when you kind of overcame it. Uh, we hear these amazing stories of heroes, people that are doing supernatural things, um, supernatural acts, and having crazy amounts of strength, and doing something that they never thought they're able to do. Only after, they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did this, you know? Um, I even Googled this story. Um, someone told me about a mother, I think it was in Canada some time ago, um, a mother that was able to literally move, uh, lift up a car to save a child that was trapped under the car. That's insane. That's not something that any human think they can be doing. I don't think I can be doing that, but what do you think motivated her to even try? What was it, that thing that got her to even try and do something that she knows she can't do? Do you have an idea? So I'll answer for you. <laughs> what really is happening there is the fear of what's going to happen to the child or what's happening to him, her or him or her right now motivated her to act supernaturally and save her child. And so she got this boost of energy. There are explanations also biologically how it works. We're not going to get into it. I'm not an expert in that. Um, that the fear gave her that boost of um, power to li- literally lift up a car to get the, the child out, you know, uh, not trapped. Now, I'll give you another example that's, I would say, less, uh, less extreme. Let's say I offer you, or I tell you, any of you, um, you need to memorize the whole of the 613 mitzvot of the Torah by tomorrow. What would be your, what would be your reaction? What would you tell me? That's easy. I mean, what, what would you say? Okay, I see your faces. He's like, nah. Well, people will say, there's no way. Sorry, who was that? Not possible. Not possible. And let's add even more to it. I, wanted, I want you not only to, um, present, to, to say it, but present it live. It's going to be live in front of like whoever is going to be watching. So that's even more scary. Most people will say, like, there's no way. I, I'm not even able to. You know, 613 mitzvot to remember by tomorrow. And never mind. Let's say I'll say it's you, but you want me to do it live? Too scared. Why are they scared? You know, I'm scared to embarrass myself in front of people. I'm going to fail. There is no way. Now, what if, and think about it twice. What if I offer you, if you do that, I'm paying you $25,000. I have a donor that's willing to do that. If you are getting yourself to <laughs> memorize the whole of the 613 mitzvot by tomorrow, presenting it live, you're getting right there a check of $25,000. What would be your um, answer then? Try to put yourself in that situation. What you, again, I don't know what's going to be in real life, but... Think about it, and, and what would you come to conclusion that maybe I don't want I don't answer for you, so I want to hear from from at least one of you. What would your answer be? It could be there still would be no, like, but a lot of people will have a different answer. I feel like when we have some sort of like outside factor, it doesn't have to be money, but it could just be like pressure. Um, or like a deadline coming up because in school, for example, someone tells me like, oh, write like a however many page paper. Like, oh, I don't have time for that. I can't do it. But if it's like, okay, do tomorrow and your grade is on the line, then I don't care how long I have to stay up at night. Like the adrenaline of having to do it and finish it for my grade is going to keep me up and I'm going to get it done no matter what. So like if there's an outside force that's contributing to it, it's like no matter what you have to do, you're going to do it in order to accomplish that. Exactly. And that's beautiful. So what happens now, let's say with this large amount of money, so a lot of the excuses will go out the window and the person would be kind of, wait a second. I mean, I'm definitely incentivized right now. I should give it my best, best shot. I mean, I can do it. And then they would 
tell themselves, there's no way I'm not doing it. There's no way I'm missing so much money in like, what? It's going to take me maybe an hour to present it. Like I get $25,000 for that. I'm doing this. There's no way I'm not. And so when you focus on what you may be losing, that motivates you. It actually takes you out of your comfort zone. That extra, you know, kind of excuse or extra, you know, outside, um, what's the word, motivation to do that really pushes away the fear and pushes away the saying no and getting you out there, you know, not pushing away the fear. Sorry, I don't want to mix up everything, but the fear of losing that money would get you to do it and would get you out of your comfort zone and would get you to get that you know, big amount of money. And so from what we see from this example as well, that fear is definitely not limiting. It's all about how we look at fear and how we feel about it. And we need to internalize our feelings and start analyzing, wait a second. So if that means that I'm afraid because I don't, I don't feel comfortable putting myself out there, I'm scared of failing, but I'm never going to succeed if I'm only going to stay in my square. I have to step out of that. I have to find ways to push myself. And I think we've mentioned that in, in previous classes as well. So as we see here, fear is definitely not paralyzing and it can be liberating. It can be motivating and it allows us to really come out of our comfort zone and uh, to be able to do more. So that's misconception number two. Now I would like to go to misconception number three, which is Fear means a lack of freedom. Okay, so some people think if I am afraid of something, that means, and I'm acting out of fear, that means I am not free. You know, I'm kind of like enslaved to something. So let's look into that. I just want to make sure my camera is good, good with the timing. Yeah. Okay. So... People think that fear avoids them from being free. In fact, we can see that fear is liberating and freeing, as we see before. So let's give an example, and that's an example that I've given before in, in different topics. But let's imagine you're at your friend's uh, birthday party, not during corona time, okay, normal time. Lots of people, lots of food, no restrictions, and they have this stunning birthday cake like really, really nice, and like three tiers, whatever. Like they went out the way, it's like a wedding cake. Um, and it's all good. Now, you're looking at that cake, and you really want to have a piece of that cake. But just on a side note, um, you've started this really strict diet two days ago. Now, you know that the cake is definitely not part of your diet, you know, it's not hard to understand that. So here's the question. What's going to happen if you choose to eat the cake? Does that mean you're free or not free? Meaning by choosing to eat or not eat the cake, which one is going to make you free? By eating it or by not eating the cake? If it's not clear, I'll, I'll uh, clarify the question as well. But let me know if you, ha you, know, you have an answer. What do you think is more freeing? By me eating the cake or by me not eating the cake because of my diet? I think you eating the cake so is more freeing. Okay. Because... So you, you can, by eating the cake, if you have self-control, I think you eating the cake is more freeing because by not eating the cake, you have the chance of worrying and eating more or you're just more stressed out. You mean more stressed out by not eating? Yeah, by not eating the cake because you're worried about, I don't need to eat it. Like you're making up all these reasons why not to eat it. But then you know it's not part of your diet. You know that it's definitely not good for you. Yes. Okay. All right. That's a point. Anyone else want to counter on that or add anything to that if you think differently? Um, 
I kind of think the opposite. I think if you don't eat it, you're freeing yourself of your physical desires. So, like, you're telling yourself you could get your happiness and pleasure from other things. doesn't have to be from dessert. <laughs> right. Okay. That's a good point. Anyone else want to add on that? I have a third opinion, which is, like, freedom is in the choice of it, of whether you can have the cake or not. Wait, could you repeat? Uh, sorry, I didn't hear you well. The sound. Like your, the freedom is the choice, or like your choice is the freedom of like whether you can not eat the cake or eat the cake. Does that make sense? Wait, wait. No, I, I'm not sure I understood. I, I was going to say I agree with Sharon. I feel like it, it's the decision, the thought process around it yeah. that kind of makes you trapped. If you just do what you want to do, then you're free. If whether that's eat the cake or not eat the cake without thinking about it. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, but when we say, by the way, when I get into like, do what you want to do, we know that we have different voices between, you know, inside. I do want to have the cake. But I also, let's say, don't want to gain weight. I don't want to have spots. I know that sugar is really not good for me. Gluten is not good for me. Um, whatever. I'm going to suffer after physically. It's not going to be I think I think um, what kind of everyone else is saying is it goes with the difference of long-term gratification versus instant gratification. Like, if you feel like, you know, I want to eat the cake now because I'm going to enjoy it right now, and then afterwards you'd be like, like, I, I kind of wish I didn't do that because I can have cake another time, and today was for, like, the, like, today I wanted to stick to this diet, and I just kind of let that take over, um, versus... Um, you know, I'm not going to have it because I, you know, I made the decision to not have it and there will be cake another time and next time I can have it. Um, and like that could be one thought process. And on the other hand, maybe if before you were thinking, you know, I'm going to a birthday, if there's cake, uh, I can have it. But, um, you know, I, I think that's what everyone's saying about like the thought process and the differences. So the thought process is definitely important here. But let's let's see on a, you know, based on Jewish perspective, what's really called free? When am I free? When I'm eating it or when I'm not eating it? So, and I want to just add that, you know, just to make it stronger, the point that we're talking about. So the reason that you would avoid yourself from eating the cake is because, you know, you're fearing the consequence, whether it's gain weight, spots, not feeling good after, you know, physically, um, sugar, whatever it is. Everything is just not going to make you feel good. Now, so from this scenario, what we would say, that we can see the idea that fear, so that fear of you, of me, of not eating the cake, can lead me to do the right thing for me. Meaning, if the right thing for me, and I know I'm fearing right now, I, I got into this diet for a reason, and I'm fearing all these things of, and also how I would feel after. So by me pretty much controlling, having self-control and not eating the cake, I am more free. When I am going after my desires, and that's based on Judaism, when you go based on what you feel like doing, but it's not necessarily the best thing for you, you're not free. You're enslaved to your desires. By you stepping out of that desire and saying, listen, I know I want it. It's not good for me. I'm not having it. That does show that you are more free because you're able to conquer, uh, I would say, your oh, whatever bo physical feelings, body, and say, no, I'm not doing it. Stepping up and saying, I am standing up for what's right for me, not for what feels good right now because I know it's not going to be good after. So that's also the idea of, of uh, I'm throwing in there free will, because that's pretty much what free will is. It allows you to be free in certain areas. There are certain areas we don't, we don't have a choice. It's not like we have a choice to which family we're born or even, according to Judaism, how much money we're going to make. But there are certain choices that we can make, like do I want to have this cake or moral choices, do I need to do this or do I need to do that? Exactly where you ask yourself the question of whether I should do this or that, whether I should answer the call or not, that's when you have free will. And that's when you are going to decide to do whatever you're going to decide. Now, based on what we see here with the cake is the fear of the consequence 
is going to lead you to choose the right thing for you. Because obviously we can understand that eating the cake, I don't know if from point of health would be the best for you. And we said that before. It's not, we gave uh, kind of facts. You know it's not going to be good for you. So now, by not eating the cake, you are actually free. You're able to walk out and say, yes, I missed out on this cake, but I feel good with myself. You know, I conquered something that was hard for me. I was really tempted to do it, but I didn't. So I'm showing that I ha I'm able to have self-control and I am free from my, my um, physical desires. So that's what Judaism says about this. So we can see, um, you know, we can see from this that if I do follow the fear, it's definitely, definitely giving me freedom. It's not enslaving me. It's the other way around. If I don't listen to my fears and the consequence, I am not going to be free. I'm going to be enslaved to my desires. Anything you want to add? Because that's different than what some of you have said. Um, different mindset to think about. Anything? Otherwise, we can move to the next one. Okay, I guess we can move to misconception number four. And again, sometimes it could be a complete different outlook at things. You know, when you learn the Jewish way of thinking, you need to internalize it, you need to understand it, maybe even to learn it again, to really understand, oh, wow, that might make sense. You know, it makes sense to me, even though you didn't, th you didn't even think about it before. Um, okay, so let's go to number four. Number four is... Fear is demeaning, okay? Many people think that. And I'll give you examples of that. People think that acting out of fear um, and not out of doing the right thing because it is the right thing is not a good thing because you really, your action is not done with the right intention. Okay, so I'll repeat that. When we say fear is demeaning, what people think that acting out of fear and not out of what is the right thing to do is a bad thing because you didn't do it with the right intention of doing the right thing. You did it because you were scared, okay? So that's pretty much the idea. Now let's, let's understand it in relationships. I think that's very um, just relevant topic, so it's not too extreme. Uh, for instance, you know, in relationships, we understand that we need fear and love, and I'm explaining, I'm going to explain that. It sounds interesting. Uh, so let's see. Let's say that we have a couple, and the spouse really doesn't like a specific bar, okay? She really doesn't like the vibe, doesn't like the people that go there, doesn't like that place. And she really doesn't like, uh, she doesn't want her spouse to go there. Let's say the, you know, he has a uh, um, meet-up with friends, and, she really, and at that place, she really doesn't, doesn't like that place, doesn't appreciate it. Now, what happens here in this situation, he really wants to go. All his friends are going to be there. But the only reason he's not going to go is because he's scared that she's going to get upset, He's scared that she's going to find out that he went there and not somewhere else. Um, he's afraid of upsetting their relationship. Now, here is a question to you. Is that the right way to be in a relationship? To have that sense of being scared in a way. Not scared, but being, uh, I would say, not scared of the person, but being scared of you know, hurting the relationship or something like that. Um, to do or don't do something because you're scared that you're either going to get caught or it's going to affect your relationship or whatever it is. I would love to hear your thoughts. What do you think? Is it the right way to be in a relationship? Does that make sense? I think it's good to respect somebody else's like wishes and um, what makes them uncomfortable and comfortable, but also you want to take take into consideration that you're not losing your own self-expression by fearing somebody else's thoughts. So I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I think it's just relative to the situation. 
I like that. You're definitely somewhere there. <laughs> I like it. Um, that's great. Great answer. Anyone else want to add to that? I agree a little bit. Um, I think that there, is, there should be always respect to one another. And when there's respect, then there's this, I don't know if it's fear, but maybe it's also fear because you want to respect one another. And, and therefore, um, you, should, you normally change your priorities according to the other person because you love and respect his um, desires and requests, etc. Wow, I like that. Okay, so let's, let's talk about it. So the truth is, and I would be very honest, you know, based, even based on Judaism, that no, it's not the ultimate way of relationship to be in a relationship and do things out of, I am scared uh, if she's going to catch me. Let's, let's go to the extreme, not just by, you know, he was afraid to hurt the relationship or make her upset, but he was not going because he was scared that she's going to catch him, that he went there. So here is the thing. It's definitely not the right thing. You know, it's definitely not the ideal way to be in a relationship, but let's look at, at, at something good here in this situation. And there's definitely some good here. So what is the good? At least he is fearing something in the relationship. At least he cares about what she feels. At least he cares if she's going to catch him. Because you know what? Worst case scenario, what can happen in, a, in not such a good relationship? He would do it anyway. He won't care. That's definitely not a relationship. And we know that in that case, mm, there's a lot of work to do there. They're not doing well. But, and we can also bring in, because you both brought in, Tess, and um, I think it was Yasmin, right? Um, you brought the idea of respect. When the, you don't have that sense of fear, the sense of respect of the other person, you won't have a real relationship. Um, but, so looking at this point, when he is not going there out of the fear that she's going to catch him, it's not ideal, but it also means that he still cares. He still cares about their relationship because he wouldn't. If he wouldn't care, he would have gone. Even if she finds out, it's like forget it. Like I want to do what I want. You know, I don't want to listen to what you're saying. So as is, we can see something good in this. Now, Judaism believes that fear is what is going to get me to love someone in the relationship, and we'll analyze that. So, in most relationships, at the beginning. There are many things we don't agree upon. You know, there's many things that we don't think alike. We're, we're two people that are coming from different families sometimes, different cultures, different, um, I don't know, countries. Uh, you can't expect you both from the very beginning to think alike, to do everything alike, to agree about everything. It's not realistic. Obviously, we're not going to be that. Now, people stick to the relationship, even if they're, if they're not thinking the same or agreeing on everything because they fear of upsetting the other side. They respect the other side. They want to make it work. They want to kind of like go beyond their differences and see how to bridge, you know, how to really make things work. So it doesn't mean that they all agree before, but they definitely have that will to not upset the other person you know, they're scared that they're going to think different about them. So they're really trying their best to be the best self that they can be. Now, based on that, we can see that fear is definitely not demeaning. Acting out of fear, even in a relationship, it's not demeaning. It can lead you to be on the right path. It's not ideal in, in the case that at least I gave, but it's definitely hopefully going to get the person to go on the right track, and we'll see. It actually shows, and we said that before, that he respects his wife or whatever. About you know, he, he respects his wife. He cares about the relationship, and hopefully, it will he will lead him to love. And what happens in a successful relationship throughout the years, if they both worked on it? Let's stick to the same example. It will be eventually that what she wants is going to be what he wants. So, what she wants. It's going to be what he wants, and it's going to be what both of them wants. So you know what? In a few years, if his friends are going to invite him to this place, he's just going to say no from the first place because, or he's going to try to move it to somewhere else because 
he already uh let's put it this way they they kind of became one doesn't mean she or he doesn't have their own opinion we're talking about both people growing into one intertwining their ways their wisdom their opinions into one now that will happen in a successful relationship at the beginning they you know maybe doing things out of fear out of you know respect to the other person but eventually it will translate to doing it out of both of their will because that's what they want so we see that love and fear does have something to do with each other and we'll see even more of that that it, one of the great sages, and I'll quote now, um, great Sephardic sages of the past generation, the Ben Ishchai, that lived in Iraq, uh, he says that if you look at the words fear and love in Hebrew, we'll see something really interesting. And he says that only specifically if you look at the words fear and then love, not before that, meaning fear is first and that would lead to love. And I'll show you, hopefully you'll see something in my paper, that they do mesh together. Only if they're in the order of fear first, because you have the, the respect first, and then you have the love. Now, let me show you, hopefully you can see. So fear in Hebrew, we said before, is yira. Okay, so let me show you here. Um, it's tiny, but as you see here, yira. Now underneath it you see Ahava. Ahava is Aleph Hey Bet Hey. Okay? Now, this is hard to let me see if I can show it to you in a different way because it's kind of hard to show it otherwise. Um, now, if you see these two words, we would be able to divide them in the middle. So Yira split it to two. You have Yud Resh and then you have Aleph Hey. And then you have Ahava underneath it, split into two. You have Aleph Hey and you have Bet Hey. It creates, on the right it will create the word Yira, and the left it would create the word Ahava. And I will show you that. I was planning to actually um, share a screen, but I do not uh, have it written. So as you see, Yira, Ahava, and then downwards, Yira, and then Ahava. So hopefully you saw that. Otherwise, I can share it after. But that just shows, you, shows us that love, real love, will need to have yir'ah, will need to have the fear as well. So I can give you an example. Love on its own, without fear, won't necessarily go anywhere, anywhere further. And we'll explain. For example, we have this wealthy guy, older guy. He's already like maybe 40. And he marries a girl, young girl. She's like 20. Okay, and it's kind of clear he's marrying her for her looks and being young and doing anything he wants, and she's marrying for being wealthy and he will provide everything for her. And she's even thinking further what's going to be after she'll be able to have all his money. So, unfortunately, these things do happen. And so, in this relationship, he can say, I managed to get love, I managed to get this young girl, she is my wife now. Now what we could see, that because there is no fear in this relationship, he's kind of like the one that's dominant, he's the one that's controlling the relationship. Um, he doesn't really care about what she feels or wants, he'll do whatever he wants anyway, whether she likes it or not. He knows she needs him, he knows that she's in it because, you know, she's a little girl kind of, and he's more like a fatherly uh, uh, mentor, and it's a different kind of relationship. So this relationship with no fear, because he's like, what do you mean? She's like 20, there's nothing to fear of her. I mean, in fact, she should learn from me, I'm older. So when it comes to these things, and again, I, I gave extreme examples of like 20 and 40, because I don't wanna get into the in-between and specifics, because there are exceptionals, obviously, to, to every rule. Um, but in general, seeing that, you see that without fear, you would not have real love. There would be no real respect there. He would always do whatever he wants based on his, you know, the way, the attitude that he walked into this marriage with. Um, so 
as we see here, now going back to the beginning, that fear is demeaning and acting out of fear is not a good thing, like some people say. So we see here that acting out of fear sometimes isn't really demeaning. It isn't like the worst thing. You know, sometimes it's needed. For example, in relationships, you do need to have the fear in order to reach love, in order to, you know, move on to the next step of having a successful relationship. Now, so let's summarize. Now we did the four misconceptions. I want to quickly go over it to make sure that we are on time. And I'll add a few more points at the end. So what we did so far is we talked about fear. You know, what is fear? The Seeing the consequence. And then we went through um, four misconceptions. Uh, the, the first one was the fear is painful. Second thing was fear is paralyzing. The third was fear is... Um, what was the, th the third one? Oh, okay, so the fear is basically a lack of freedom, and we kind of proved it that it's not really. And fear is demeaning, and we see that in relationships, for example, it isn't very true. It's not necessarily demeaning. And again, it all depends what situation exactly you're in. You can't kind of copy-paste every situation. You have to analyze everything. As human beings, we have a brain. We're smart. We're able to analyze uh, or even have a friend, a mentor, help us analyze situations and see, am I acting out of fear? Is it a good act that I'm doing? Or it's not unhealthy. Let's say if it's in a relationship, it's not a healthy fear. Um, so these things we obviously need to analyze and talk about. Now, one thing I do want to point out that, and I did that at the beginning as well, that you know, in order to feel the fear, in order to feel alive, in order to make the most out of life, you don't necessarily need to jump off a cliff or jump off a plane, you know. We, all we need to do really in life is to look at our daily life. That's all. Look at your daily life. Look at your reality. Be real. And think about the consequences of the actions that you do. Think about your own life. You know, you want to have the thrill of being alive. The reality is your best, greatest thrill because you are living it. You are alive. You just need to make it count. You need to make every minute of your reality special as much as you can. Now, if you don't bury your head in the ground, obviously, and you don't ignore the consequences, you can learn a lot about life, about yourself, about your fears, and step out of it, hopefully, and work through it, and become even better, and reach greater heights that you never thought you would because of the fears. Um, I'll, I'll give an example. You know, it's kind of like a sad example, but uh, Judaism brings that definitely. Our sages bring it. So we all know that one day we are going to die. None of us is living here on this planet forever. Now, when we live our daily life, it's not like we're thinking about it. it, it in some way, uh, unconsciously, we kind of feel like we're staying here forever. People act like as if there's no... No consequence, there's no tomorrow. I mean, we're here forever. Me, I'm not going to get the virus. Me, I'm not, I'm not going to die of this or that. I'm too young or whatever it is. Now, when we hear, let's say, God forbid, someone uh, passes away from lung cancer, we get really sad, it's so scary, but then we move on with life. You know, it didn't really hit home, so thankfully, so then we, you don't feel it yet. But then... God forbid, what happens is when people do experience a loss, let's say, in their own family. For many, it's a wake-up call. For many, it's, you know, they come out of their comfort zone and kind of thinking about life even more because they never even thought about life. Now, this situation of life being taken, it's kind of like a shock. It's like, what am I doing in my life? Am I actualizing my potential? Am I making the most out of my life? Am I just going to work, coming back, making money, but doing nothing else? Like, am I unlocking my greatness, which is a big thing? You know, I'm, I'm reaching the most I can do. Am I living a meaningful life? And that's the reason why a lot of the times after certain, you know, events that happens to people in life, they kind of wake up and they want to, they look for meaning, they try to, you know, get in, in, um, involved in a community, attend classes, do some more for their soul to understand life even better. So Judaism tells you just be real. 
That's all. That's all you need to do. Don't run away from life's uh, um, consequences. You know, don't act that you're going to be here forever. Every minute that you're here counts. Every minute that you're here, you're able to change the world, to impact the world in your own way. Everyone is very unique, and everyone has their own things that they can do. When we recognize that, um, and we know and we recognize the fact that one day we're going to pass away, it does push us to really evaluate every day and say, I'm going to make this day the best day ever because who knows what's going to be with me. Do I know, God forbid, if I'm going to be here tomorrow? No, I don't. None of us knows. And the truth is we don't have to wait for a, God forbid, you know, a heart disease or you know, heart attack or life-threatening situation for a person to think about the end. You know, as you see, sometimes things happen you know, life changes in a blink of an eye. Even now, thinking about it, uh, this time has been really difficult, you know, the corona time for many, many people. And financially, people lost everything. And it's not something that we, we even saw coming a few months ago. It's like, really? What do you mean? I have my house, I have this, I have that. And now, I know people that have lost literally almost everything. Everything they have. And it's sad. It's like... You don't know what's going to be the next minute. So what Judaism tells us is when we recognize that one day we're going to pass away, it pushes us to evaluate our lives and ask ourselves, am I using my time wisely? Am I using my time effectively? The clock is ticking. And in Pakeh Avot, the ethics of our father, it says, Shuv yom It says, repent a day before you die. Because, it's, you know, we don't know when we're going to pass away. So how are we supposed to know when to repent? Because it does say repent. But then it does answer and says repent a day before. What does it mean a day before? Do you, does anyone know when they're actually going to, you know, not be here anymore? No. But it means living, uh, you know, living with the awareness of the fear that life is not open-ended. It's not forever. That's all you need to think about. And it says that live your life every day as if it's your last day. So you make sure that you actualize your best potential and you make every single day counts. So that way you go through life, you're like, wow, I achieved so much. I overcame so much, so many fears. The fears pushed me to do even more because the fear of not being here tomorrow or next week uh, pushed me to finish off certain things that I needed to or give a call to this one or that one or my grandmother that I haven't spoken to in years. Who knows how long she's going to be around? You know, it, it definitely helps you think about life and other things in a different way. View life in a, in a very valuable and very um, precious way. And that's definitely something that I wanted to throw in in terms of obviously the Jewish view of how we're viewing life and how fear plays a role here but yeah anyone here has any question or anything they want to add before we wrap up tonight so thank you so much i'm looking forward to seeing you again sometime this week anyway for taco tuesday or anything else you know the talks on thursday um otherwise have a wonderful evening <laughs>